We rejoice, God, that we are able to give you honor and praise and lift you up as the King of heaven and the Lord of all the earth. And we thank you, God, that even in your great majesty, you love us as your children. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. If you've been with us for the last little while, you know we're working our way through the book of Genesis. And this morning, our message is going to come out of Genesis 34. Now, the message I'm going to preach this morning is not the kind of message that you normally choose to preach. It's the kind of message you, you only really get to preach when you're working your way through a book, which is one of the reasons we do preach like that. It's not necessarily an easy message. It's not a particularly light message, but it is a message, I believe, that is full of hope because our God is a light in the darkness, and He gives us strength to journey through the things that are quite difficult. I need to let you know, particularly parents, that the text we're going to read this morning comes with a bit of a PG rating. Um, the story of Genesis 34 is quite violent. It's traumatic, and it's marked by the heinousness of sin. So I want to give you the freedom if you want to skim the text ahead of time and just decide whether or not you want to keep your children in for that. You're welcome to do that. And if you're in the baby room, you might want to turn the volume down when we read the Scriptures. That's up to you, right? But I believe that the, this text that God has given to us, He's given to us for a reason this morning. I, I believe He wants to use the story that we're going to find in Genesis 34 to help many of us break off some of the burdens that we carry in life and have been carrying for far too long. I believe that God desires for us to attain new levels of life and joy and freedom in the lives that we live day by day by the power of His Spirit at work within us. I believe He wants to minister the healing grace of that Spirit, he wants to, and He wants to do that to us so that we are empowered in order to be ministers of that healing to the world around us. This morning we're going to speak a little bit about trauma. We're going to speak about it because it's something that all of us will experience in our lives. Some of us will experience it more extensively than others. Some of us will experience it more violently than others. Some of us will experience it more often than others. But we will all experience trauma, and it will shape us. For myself, two years ago, my best friend's life was ripped away in suicide, and I lost my closest friend who I'd been friends with for 20 years. And it was an incredibly violent intrusion into my otherwise peaceful life. And it has taken some significant and intentional work on my part in order to be able to process it and to come out on the other side, as it were. But I watched as that trauma and that grief tore apart the group of friends that I was a part of and did some significant damage, even in this community. Just a couple of months ago, a friend of mine messaged me, and he said, Brad, I'd like to rejoin our kind of WhatsApp group of friends, but I need to know, are people still talking about Rick? Because for him just to be a part of that was still a traumatic experience. Some of you here this morning might have shared in that trauma. But each of us has our own story of trauma. And I want, to, I want to say to you that every person out there, every person that's not here this morning in the world and the communities around us has their own story of trauma. Trauma is a reality of life. 
but it's a reality that God gives us the grace to navigate through. It's a reality that God wants to heal us from and then to carry the healing that we have received from Him into the world in which we live so that they might also come to see Jesus, so that they might also come to find the hope that we have in Him and find redemption for their story. So let's read the story together and allow God to use it to teach us and to help us. I see some of the parents have slipped out already. Right, let's read it together. We're going to read the whole of Genesis chapter 34. It says, One day Dina, the daughter of Jacob and Leah, went to visit some of the young women who lived in the area. But when the local prince Sechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, saw Dina, he seized her and raped her. But then he fell in love with her, and he tried to win her affection with tender words. And he said to his father, Hamor, get me this young girl. I want to marry her. Soon Jacob heard that Sechem had defiled his daughter Dina, and since his sons were out in the fields herding the livestock, he said nothing until they returned. Hamor, Sechem's father, came to discuss the matter with Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the field as soon as they had heard what had happened, and they were shocked and furious that their sister had been raped. Sechem had done a disgraceful thing against Jacob's family, something that should never be done. Hamor tried to speak with Jacob and his sons. He said, my son Sechem is truly in love with your daughter. Please let him marry her. In fact, let's arrange other marriages too. You give us your daughters for our sons, and we will give you our daughters for your sons. And you may live among us, and the land is open to you. Settle here and trade with us, and feel free to buy property in the area. Then Sechem himself spoke to Dina's father and brothers. Please be kind to me and let me marry her, he begged. I will give you whatever you ask. No matter what dowry or gift you demand, I will gladly pay it. Just give me the girl as my wife. But since Sechem had defiled their sister Dina, Jacob's sons responded deceitfully to Sechem and to his father Hamor. They said to them, we cannot possibly allow this because you are not circumcised. It would be a disgrace for our sister to marry a man like you. But the, here is a solution. If every man among you will be circumcised like we are, then we will give out you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves. We will live among you and become one people. But if you don't agree to be circumcised, we will take her away and be on our way. Hamor and his son Sechem agreed to, to their proposal. Sechem wasted no time in acting on this request for he wanted Jacob's daughter desperately. Sechem was a highly respected member of his family, and he went with his father Hamor to present this proposal to the leaders at the town gate. These men are our friends, they said. Let us invite them to live here among us and to trade freely. Look, the land is large enough to hold them. We can take their daughters as wives and let them marry ours. But they will consider staying here and becoming one people with us only if all of our men are circumcised just as they are. But if we do this, all of their livestock and possessions will eventually be ours. Come, let's agree to their terms and let them settle here among us. So all the men in the town council agreed with Hamor and Sechem, and every male in the town was circumcised. But three days later, when their wounds were still sore, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, who were Dina's full brothers, took their swords and entered the town without opposition. Then they slaughtered every male there including Hamor and his son Sechem, and they killed them with their swords, 
And then they took Dana from Sechem's house and returned to their camp. Meanwhile, the rest of Jacob's sons arrived, and finding the men slaughtered, they plundered the town because their sister had been defiled there. And they seized all the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, everything they could lay their hands on, both inside the town and outside in the fields. And they looted all the wealth and plundered their houses, and they also took all of the little children and the wives, and they led them away as captives. Afterward, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me. You have made me a stink among all the people of this land, among all the Canaanites and the Perizzites. We are so few that they will join forces and crush us, and I will be ruined, and my entire household will be wiped out. But why should we let him treat our sister like a prostitute? They retorted angry. That's the story of Genesis 34. What are we to learn from a story like this? I mean, I think let's start by processing the story we've just read. And let me begin by saying that I don't believe anything godly happens in this story. Dina is a violated innocent. Sechem's actions are evil, and I think although he displays a small level of repentance, it's possible to see that in his offer to marry and to pay Lebola, but his actions are evil. Hamor, instead of holding his son accountable, tries to downplay the instrument incident and uses it as a bargaining chip to create a trading arrangement. Jacob, as the patriarch of his family, is passive, and he fails to lead his family in a right and godly response. Simeon and Levi, in their anger and their vengeance, act out in a way which is disproportionate. It's ungodly, it's unsanctioned, and it's undeserved. And then the rest of Jacob's sons go into the town, they steal from innocent people, And they take women and children captive and bring them into slavery for no reason. All in all, this is a deeply ungodly story. And you will have noticed as we read the story together that God doesn't feature in it at all. Unlike the chapters before and after. So what do we take away from a story like this? Why does God include a story like this in the scripture for us? See, it's my belief that God desires this story to stand as a negative example for us. In the story, we are reminded that even as God's people, we will sometimes experience heinous sin and trauma in our lives. But it's a negative example because in the story, we see what happens when we respond to that sin and that trauma in an ungodly and a sinful way. The story highlights for us the temptation that we all feel And to be honest, the reality that we often embrace when we go through trauma, it highlights what happens when you have the unfiltered desire for justice and that desire is not channeled through a godly perspective. I want you to take a moment and just imagine how this incident affected the people involved and the people around there. Let's think about how it affected Jacob's family. We can see quite clearly how his sons felt about Sechem, but what about Sechem's clan? How did they feel about the Hivites? I think from this point forward, they would have thought of the Hivites as the people that raped our sister. What about the Hivite women and children of the town? How do they feel about the Israelites now? They're going to think about the people of the Israelites as not just Um, Jacob's people, but they're going to think about those people that murdered our fathers and our husbands. 
What about the people in the surrounding countryside? Because this is the kind of news that has the habit of spreading. Jacob says it outright in verse 30. He says, you have made me a stink among the people of this land. Surely they're going to join together and destroy us. I want you to notice it was one act of sin. Deep, terrible, heinous sin. But it sparked a sinful response in two men. And the sinful response of those two men spurred ten other men into sinful action. And that sinful action affected a whole city. And it created a cycle of sin that will affect at least four people groups for generations to come. How similar is this to our story in South Africa? How much sin is in our history? How many heinous acts have been committed against men and women made in the image of God? How many generations and people groups have been affected by the cycle of sin in our country? What about us? How do we respond when we get sinned against? What happens when we experience terrible sin and trauma in our lives? I am very aware that as I stand here this morning, some of you who are sitting here this morning have probably been raped. Some of you have experienced abuse. Some of you will have experienced death in your family or friends. You will have experienced betrayal by those that you loved and trusted. You might have gone through a terrible illness that has crippled you. You might have been through a divorce that you never wanted. You might have been neglected or abandoned by people that you loved and should have loved you back. So many other experiences that we could have been through. What do we do with our desire for vengeance? What do we do with our desire for justice, for, for the desire that there would just be some kind of fairness in the world that we live in? How do we carry the light of the glory of God into a world that so desperately needs Him when our shoulders are so burdened by pain and hurt and heartache that's just become our normal? The response that we see in this story is what happens when the desires of the sinful nature are allowed to be vented in an unqualified way. And friends, the problem is when we do that, we open up a space in our lives and we invite the enemy to come and take up residence there. It's been my experience in going through my own trauma and seeing the trauma and the pain of others. I've, I've come to identify the enemy as a hitchhiker. Right? And let me explain what I mean by that because it's a little bit of an analogy. Right? But if you think of the pain and trauma that we experience in life as a journey that we go on, as something that we want to get through and process, come out the other side, we might never be perfectly the same, but we manage to get through it. We're on this journey, and the enemy is like the hitchhiker that stands on the side of the road. Right? And you pull over and you wind down your window and you, you lean out to listen to what he has to say. And, he, and the hitchhiker says something that gives expression to exactly how you feel about your trauma. He knows just how vulnerable you are. He knows exactly which buttons to push. And so you let him into the car because his words seem comforting. They appeal to that part of you that desires some level of justice. They probably start with, you know what, this thing that you have been through is a terrible thing. And you're like, yeah, it is a terrible thing. But slowly those words get a little bit more and more insidious. 
It starts from the thing that you've been through is terrible to, you know what? The people who did this to you are terrible people. And then you're like, you know what? They are terrible people. And then it's like, he, he goes from there. It's actually, it's right for them to be punished for what they've done. And you actually, it's right for you to be able to hate them. You're like, it is right for me to hate. This is a terrible thing. And then after a little while, there's another hitchhiker on the side of the road. And you wind down your window and they tell you another lie that sits in your heart. And then another and another. And before you know it, your car is so full of hitchhikers taking you to all sorts of different places that you don't even know how to get to the end of your journey anymore. And your trauma has grown instead of shrunk over time. And suddenly you don't know who you are anymore. You don't know who God is anymore. You, you doubt his character. You don't believe you can trust him. You begin to doubt your identity as a Christian and who you are as a son or daughter of God. You begin to feel guilt and shame, and you're like, surely God wouldn't want to spend time with me. I'm such a terrible person. And that guilt and shame begins to move towards self-loathing. You begin to see yourself as worthless and insignificant, all because you have been the victim of terrible sin and trauma. Friends, that is not how it is meant to be. It is not how it is meant to be. It is not how God wants us to live. And it is not meant to be our normal. A few months ago in Musenberg, God brought us a prophetic word. It was quite a harsh word. He said, my church has become a crippled bride. My church has become a crippled bride. That's not the church that God desires. God does not desire us as His bride to be so crippled that we cannot carry the redemptive purposes of God into the world around us. That we simply don't have capacity to extend the kingdom of God because it's all we can do to just get through the week. His desire for us is that we would be a spirit-filled, God-centered, loving community that continues His ministry of redemption in the brokenness of the world that we see around us. He desires for us to be administers of His healing grace, His grace that we receive first from Him as He guides us through our pain, that we're then able to take that and to take it to the world that is so deeply embattled and needs to find the life-giving joy of the one true God. Friends, God desires to heal us so that we can be His instruments of healing in the nation. There's a proverb in leadership that says you can't take people where you've never been. And if we have never received the healing that comes from God, we will not be able to minister it to others. And that's what God desires us as His people to be. That we would be those who have been cleansed by the Spirit and strengthened by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit and healed by the Spirit so that as we go into the world around us and as we encounter our friends and our family members and our work colleagues and we see the pain and the trauma that they're experiencing, we will have the strength and the grace of God to be able to lead them to Jesus and help them process through that. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
He said in the, in the beginning of his ministry in Luke's gospel, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God does not desire that the sin that we experience would cripple us. And in His grace, He makes a way for us to journey through our pain and to find healing and to find strength and to find wholeness again through the life-giving spirits. This passage tells us the story of, of violence and the damage that it wrought in a community of people. And it stands as a testament to the very real trauma that we can experience as God's people. And it shows us what happens when we in our pain choose to agree with the suggestions of our enemy. What it unfortunately does not do is tell us what to do instead. It doesn't give us the opposite or the positive roots out of trauma. That root exists and it can be distilled from a collection of other places in Scripture. There's also a lot that we can learn and, and we can gain from Christian counselors who through years of practical training and experience have applied the truths of Scripture through, to help us get through these things. That root involves sometimes debriefing, I would say always, debriefing your trauma experience. It involves being able to to talk it through. And sometimes you might need an experienced counselor to help you with that. And if I can take a moment to speak particularly to the men this morning. Gents, we, we have a real resistance to doing this. We don't really like to do this. We have been raised as men to not talk about our issues. Right? To, to, be, to be strong as a man is to pretend that the world doesn't affect us and we just carry on being strong. And yet, just doing that actually just buries our stuff deeper. And it makes us in, unable to speak about the things that matter. I tried to speak to my dad a little while ago about faith. And he grunted and turned away. That was the extent of our conversation because we don't talk about stuff like that. Being men like that creates broken men, and it leads to broken families, and broken families create dysfunctional communities. Gents, talking to someone is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of humility, and humility is a characteristic of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. And when we do that, it becomes a strength for us because we receive the healing that comes from God and we are then able to heal those who need to receive it from us. The roots out of trauma involves bringing to light the things that our subconscious like to keep in the dark. Because we don't like to talk about those things. And when we don't talk about them, we give them power over us. My friend Rich, who took his life... He, um, he discovered one day a machete in his garage. And he went to his dad and he said, Dad, where do, where do we get this machete from? He was going to trim the garden. And his dad said, Rich, put that back. We don't talk about it. It was a relic that had come from the war where he had served. And it was buried so deep that we couldn't even have a conversation about where it had come from. When we actively bring our trauma into the light, it allows us to name it, to define it, to limit it, 
and then to begin to deal with it. But while it remains in the dark, it continues to hold power over us, and it prevents us from moving into healing. The root through trauma involves the freedom to express your anger. It involves the freedom to express your regret. It involves the freedom to express your laments and your loss, even when those are directed at God. I promise you God is big enough to handle your emotions. There is nothing that we gain when we pretend that we're better than we are, when we pretend that our faith is fine, when in fact it's in tatters and we don't know who God is anymore, and we don't know how He could possibly have allowed this to happen to us. But we know, no, I'm good, I'm fine. We gain nothing, and God already knows what's in our hearts. Honesty before God and before others opens the route to healing. The route through trauma involves dropping off the collection of hitchhikers that we've picked up along the way. It it involves finding out the false truths that we've begun to believe and that we've begun to hold dear and identifying them and saying, this is actually not right. And I need to reject this truth and I need to remember what Jesus said. I need to hold on to that. Finally, The route through trauma sometimes involves choosing to release our right to punish and to hold our perpetrators accountable and to choose to entrust God to do that in our stead, which is a really, really hard thing sometimes. But God called us to that. In Deuteronomy 32, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God is a just God, and he will hold accountable all sinful acts. So as I draw this message to a close, I want to land it in the hope that we can have in the Lord. Because there is hope. Because our God is a light in the darkness. Because He doesn't desire us to be a crippled bride, but to walk in fullness and in the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to say to you this morning that if you have experienced trauma, and you know that it is still shaping and still affecting your life, I believe that it is God's permanent desire to see you fully restored. He does not want us as his bride to remain crippled. He desires that we would be able to live our lives fully for him, that we would receive his healing, and out of that healing, that we would be instruments of his healing in the nations. Because, friends, I promise you, as broken as you might know you are inside, everyone out there is carrying trauma. And they are carrying pain and hurts that need the life of the Spirit of God to come in and to set them free. They need to find the King, Jesus, who wants to come alongside them and to take their burdens upon Him and to give them His yoke, which is easy and light. And we can't do that if we haven't found it in Him first. And I want to assure you and say to you in deep sincerity that we as your church family are here to walk this journey with you. We are here to walk this with you. We want to see you step into the fullness of what God has for you. Some of you already know that that there is trauma in your heart and it's shaping who you are. But sometimes our traumas are buried so deep in the past that we think because so much time has passed, we've obviously moved on and it's okay. I I need to tell you that the idea that time heals all wounds, some of you will know this already, is just not true. Time in and of itself doesn't heal anything. It just creates distance. And you can, you'll know 
that there's something buried deep. If there, are, if there are emotions in your life that just seem to spring out of somewhere that you don't understand, that there are references or there are, there are actions or things that happen to you that just cause some big emotion to well up in you that you don't fully understand. Suddenly you get really angry about something or you feel terribly guilty about something or you carry an intense fear of something or a paranoia that something's going to happen or there's an insecurity in who you are and who God's made you to be or a shame that you just seem to begin to carry whenever this thing happens. These emotions can act as a signpost for us that there's actually some unresolved trauma that's sitting under the surface that God wants to shine a light on and help us journey through. I want to say to you, there are members here in our church family who are trained to help us journey through trauma, and that there are other people that we are networked to who deeply desire to see the people of God walking free of the bondage and the baggage of trauma. And we are here to help you. And so if you feel and you know in your heart that God has been speaking to you and He's been highlighting something to you this morning, I want to really encourage you to take a step of faith. I'm not going to ask you to stick up your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand or come to the front. I'm going to ask you on Monday to phone the church office. And if Monday is too long to wait, you can email the church office when you go home. And we've, Michelle and I have chatted and we've spoken and we, we're prepared as a church to be ready to help and to respond as you need us. And so get in touch with us and Michelle will take your details and she will happily direct you and we'll talk together as a team and find the best way that we can walk with you and help you in this space. Trauma is not something we want to treat flippantly. It's not something we want to say a quick prayer and think that you're going to be fine. But we want to walk with you. We want to minister the spirit of the living God to you. And we want to trust that God will be at work in your life and bring you to the place where that you no longer cripple, but you're walking in the fullness and strength of the Spirit. So I'm going to close in prayer for a moment. And there might be some of you here who genuinely have walked through trauma and have received the healing grace of God's Spirit. You might, you might be in that space, and I want to encourage you to keep your eyes open for the people around you, in this church or outside of this church, who you can see are carrying the scars of trauma still, who are burdened and heavy laden and need to find the rest that's in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to ask God to use you to be ministers of His grace in that place. Because God has healed us so that we can be a blessing and a healing for the nations. So that Jesus can work through us to bring the light of the glory of God into all the places of darkness. And so that those who are in bondage will be set free and released into life. And so if you have walked into God's healing, He's done that in you so that you can be a blessing to others. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who knows what it is to go through deep trauma. You know what it is to be betrayed by those who love you. You know what it is to be handed over to death by those that you came to save. You have felt the heinousness of sin firsthand. And I thank you, God, that you are here for us as we go through those experiences in our lives. That you are the God who brings restoration and who brings healing and who brings grace and who fills us with the spirit of the living God and empowers us to be those that carry the grace of God into the world around us. 
And so, the Lord, this morning, I want to pray that you would release courage over us, God, to do that which you are placing before us. If, we, if you are calling us to respond and to take the trauma that we can see and to deal with it, Lord, I pray you would release courage over us this morning to take that first step and to speak it out and to tell someone, maybe to even get in touch with our church office and ask someone to come and journey with us. God, give us courage. And Lord, if you want to use us to bring your healing to the people around us, I pray that you would open our eyes to see. You would open our eyes to see those who are walking in bondage and who are heavy laden and weighed down and who need the freedom and the joy that comes from Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities and the opportunities the angles that you give us to get in and to bring the light of the glory of God and to trust for the Spirit of God to be at work. And more than anything, Lord, I pray that in all things we would know the presence of the living God at our side who strengthens us and helps us and empowers us and enables us that even in our weakness your strength is made perfect. And I pray that we would be a people that walk with the presence of the living God at our side. We ask this in your wonderful and holy name, Jesus.